0: Reading from Mark 11, 1 to 25, page 717 in the Church Bibles. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, "'Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest heaven!' Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, "'May no one ever eat fruit from you again.' And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, "'It is not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but have you made it? But you have made it a den of robbers.' The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes from what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins.
1: A change in leadership can change everything else about an organisation. Think about it. When a new boss comes in, the whole environment of the workplace can change completely. When a sporting team gets a new captain, the culture, of the, team, the culture of the team can change like that. When we elect a new leader in our state or, or, or in our federal governments, well, the whole country can change, can't it? Oh, maybe. Maybe not much, but it, it can change. It says, when the leader changes, everything else can change. No one knows this better. Then Thomas Cranmer, he was a leader of the church in England in the 16th century. Not just a leader, but the leader. This, he's the top guy. He's, he's the guy who's regularly talking with the king. He has a great deal of power, a great deal of influence. He, he has so much influence, in fact, that a lot of what we are as a church today is down to this guy, Thomas Cranmer, a very influential man. But when the leader changes, well, everything else changes as well. So for Kremmer, the old king died, and a new queen arose, and this changed everything. No longer was Kremmer the top guy of the church, because the queen didn't like him very much, and the queen didn't like the things he was teaching very much. So he goes from the leader of the church to being a wanted man, imprisoned, and eventually killed. Because a change in leadership changes everything. Thanks, Darren. Uh, Today in the passage, we're going to see a change in leadership. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he comes as a new king. And the leaders of the city, they may not recognize this about Jesus. Certainly, they don't want him as their king. But Jesus comes as a king, and he changes the way that we do life with God. So the new king is bringing a new way To do life with God. Now, you might be sitting here today and really you're still wrestling with with God for yourself. You're not quite sure what to make of God yet. I mean, if that's you, I'm so glad you're here today. I really am. Because this passage shows us very clearly who Jesus is He's the King. And not only that, but this passage also shows us what it means to do life with God. So today is a great day for you to be at church. I'm so glad you're here. And I just want to ask you to tune in because I want you to see what Jesus is offering today. What Jesus is saying about God and how you can do life with God. I hope today will help you make a decision to start following God. Maybe you're sitting here and you've been a Christian for a little while and you're thinking, well... I kind of already know about this new way. I kind of already know about Jesus as the king. I'm on board with all of that already. And great, that's fantastic. And don't hear me say I'm doubting you at that point. But if you're anything like me, you can become really familiar with something, so familiar that it's kind of like second nature. It's just so normal that it's easy to forget about it, forget how radical it is, forget how dramatic it is. So easy to forget what it means to live life with Jesus as king. So easy to forget what, what change he brings to the way we do life with God. So I want to encourage you, stick with this too. This is what we need to hear again and again and again. Today we're going to see that Jesus is king and this radically shapes the way we do life with God. At that point we need to pray, don't we? We need to pray that we'll be able to hear God's words. So let me pray for us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you've given us your word. We praise you that it speaks to us because you've given us your spirit to understand it. We just wanted to pray that that would be happening now. Please convict us deeply, Father, of who Jesus is. Please convict us deeply of what it means to do life with you now because of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. As chapter 11 begins, Jesus approaches Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And as he does, he's saying, look at me, I'm your king. That's the first point for the day. The new king arrives. In verses 1 to 11, Jesus is portrayed as the new king coming into his kingdom. Two things show us that Jesus is king. Firstly, Jesus comes riding on a colt, a donkey. And we already looked at this in the all-ages spot earlier, so I'm not going to go over it again. But I counted. In the first seven verses of Mark chapter 11, take a look at this slide. First seven verses, the cult is mentioned 11 times. And it's, like, it's, like, it's, it's like Mark doesn't quite quote the prophet Zechariah to us, but he's just kind of jabbing us in the ribs, saying, A cult, a cult. Guys, do you get it? A cult. And in case we didn't get it, there's another big thing pointing out that Jesus is the king it's the crowds. Look at verse 8 here. Verse 8. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. See the crowd here, they're giving Jesus like the red carpet treatment. He's coming in as king, and the crowds give him the red carpet treatment. But not only that, they also begin to sing. Look at their songs in verse 9. Verse 9. They cry, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. See, here the crowd, they're seeing that Jesus is king. They sing that Jesus is bringing a new kingdom. That this guy, they recognize before them, the person standing there, Jesus, he's actually a king. The words of the crowd, they show us the same thing that the cult shows us. Focusing our eyes on Jesus. Focusing our eyes on the fact that he is our king. He's the new king. He's wandering into the capital city to start his new kingdom. Just recently, I've started watching a show on TV called The Crown. Maybe some of you have seen this. It's a TV show about the life of Queen Elizabeth II, especially the beginnings of her reign. I'm only two episodes in, so I'm only new. Episode one Elizabeth married Philip. Episode two. Uh, Elizabeth's father, King George, dies and she becomes queen. Now, I haven't seen it yet, but I reckon I know what, chapter three, uh, what episode 3 is all about. It's going to be about her coronation, right? She's going to be crowned as the queen. And I'm sure it's going to look something like this, you know, she's going to sit down on a throne, the archbishop's going to be there and he's going to anoint her with the oil, people are going to bend the knee at her, People are going to say, we recognize you as queen. She's going to make some promises. But I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what happens outside before she gets in there. It's going to be crazy, isn't it? The crowds are going to be lining the streets. They're going to be waving their little British flags. They're going to be cheering. There's going to be a whole commotion. And that's what Jesus is doing here in Mark chapter 11. This isn't the coronation, but this is the big fanfare as he comes into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The big fanfare as people go, Yes, our king has come. He's here, finally. The new king has come. And that's what the people are celebrating in the streets here. He's come to take his crown. And as he comes, he completely changes the way we do life with God. That's the second point for the day. The new king comes and he completely changes the way. We do life with God. In verse 15, Jesus enters the temple. Now, the temple is a really important place. Really important place. If you're a Jew in Jesus' day, the temple is about the most important place in the world. Because the temple is the place where you get to do life with God. You can come to the temple and offer your sacrifices. And because you offer your sacrifices, God accepts you. You can come to the temple and you can pray. This is the place where you can pray and have your prayers heard. And if you even can't come to the temple, well, at least you can turn into the direction of the temple and pray to God. Kind of like a Muslim will turn to pray it towards Mecca. If you're a Jew, the temple is vitally important for you. This is how you do life with God. So verse 15, Jesus enters the temple and straight away you'll notice he causes chaos. Read from verse 15 with me. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Jesus comes here to this most important, most sacred place and it just causes utter chaos, doesn't he? Why? Why would Jesus do this here? He explains in verse 17. Verse seventeen. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called the house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Why is Jesus causing such a scene, such an uproar? It's because the temple's gone wrong. The whole temple system is just gone wrong see non-jewish people people from all the nations they're supposed to come to this special part of the temple where they too could pray to god but they can't pray look people are busy buying and selling there's doves everywhere people are trading money this isn't a place of prayer it's a, it's a, become a business hub it's so busy no one can pray here Instead of being a place of prayer, Jesus says it's become a robber's den. It's a hideout for thieves. See, the Jews, they were supposed to come to the temple and they'd offer their sacrifices, they'd pray to God. And then they were supposed to go out and live lives of worship to God. But that's not what they're doing. They're going out and they're living lives of ungodliness, of displeasing God. And they come back to the temple thinking that they're going to be safe. Just like a robber who goes out thieving or returns to his den, his hideout, thinking he's going to be safe. The whole temple system here has gone wrong. And so Jesus doesn't come to cleanse the temple. No. Jesus comes in judgment on the temple. That's what the fig tree is all about. At first glance, it might be easy to think that, well, Jesus has just had a bad start to the day. You know, he's... Hasn't had a good night's sleep, gets up on the wrong side of the bed. He doesn't get his morning coffee. He's really hungry and he goes to the fig tree and he's, he's really hungry. There's no fruit on the fig tree and he thinks, well, that's it. And he snaps, and he just curses the fig tree. Is that what's going on here? No. No, see, either side of the temple, of chaos in the temple, either side of that, the fig tree emerges It's helping us understand what Jesus is doing in the temple. See, just like the fig tree has no fruit, the temple itself is bearing no fruit. It's there so that people can do life with God, but that's not what's happening. The whole temple system has gone bad. So, just like the fig tree is withered to its roots, so the temple is finished, it's gone. Jesus is saying it has no place anymore. The new king is bringing a radical change. The new king is completely changing the way we do life with God. I used to work at Subway making sandwiches. I was a sandwich artist. When we started, we had a manager who I think everyone was just a little bit afraid of. It's not that she was mean or vindictive or anything. She just had this this look in her eye. That if you double crossed her, if you weren't doing your work, if you were caught slacking off, well, you knew there'd be a price to pay. She put the fear into us. Then later on, after another year, we got a different manager, a new manager. And this new manager was just had a different personality. She was just more relaxed. And so I think at work we, we all just breathe a little bit easier. So, um But we still had to do the same things as before, right? We still had to work as hard as we did before. The jobs that nobody wanted to do, well, still nobody wanted to do do them. But somebody still had to do them. And come to think of it, there, there really wasn't that much change at all, actually. Jesus is not like that. When Jesus comes as king, he brings a huge change. Radical change. Significant change. He changes the very fundamental things about how we do life with God. The temple's gone. That's not how you do life with God anymore. Now there's a new way. So, what is this new way? In verses 22 to 25, Jesus said it's three things. Three things about this new way of doing life with God. They are faith, prayer, And forgiveness. So let's step through these one by one. Firstly, faith. Look at verse 22 with me. Jesus says, Have faith in God. The Jewish people in Jesus' time, what did they have faith in? Well, partly they had faith in the temple. Remember, the temple is the way they do life with God. The temple is a sign that God is with them. They can do life with him. And without the temple, they're actually lost. Completely lost. Jesus is saying to his followers, no, don't have faith in the temple. Don't have faith in a building or an institution. Have faith in God. I used to go to a different church, a long way away from here, a different church, and some people, get this, they would travel for over two hours to get to church with us. Which sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, wow, how committed are these people? It's brilliant. It sounds great until you know the reason why they're traveling that far. See, on their way to come to church with us, they went past dozens, probably some of them hundreds of churches. Not just churches, but good churches. Churches that would teach in the Bible. Churches that would be a great place to have fellowship in. And they went past all these churches to come to our church, and the only reason they came to our church was because of the building. It was an old building. It was a nice old building, I guess. And for whatever reason, for these people, coming to this building was so important as part of doing life with God. But what's Jesus saying here? It's not about a building. It's not about an organization or an institution It's about faith in God. Now, we're meeting here in a high school gym. I'm guessing that most of us here don't come for the building, right? Unless you really love Kevin Rudd and think that his buildings are brilliant. But I don't think so. Our faith is in God and we must keep our faith in God. See, people will let us down. Leaders will let us down. I might let you down. Church, church will let us down. TNE might let us down. I hope it doesn't, but it might. None of this should turn us away from Christianity. Because our faith isn't in the people at church. It's not in church. Our faith is in God. Our faith is in God alone. And this is great because God can do the impossible. That's what verse 23 is all about. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they said will happen, it will be done for them. Now Jesus doesn't mean that literally we can go and move mountains if just we believe enough. I think what he's doing here, he's intentionally exaggerating. He's doing this to make a point. To make a point about our faith. Faith can do wonderful things. Faith can do the impossible. Why? It's not because our faith is great. It's not because we have so much faith. It's because of the one we have our faith in, right? God. God can do the impossible. It's God who is great, not our faith. See, Jesus is bringing this new way of doing life with God. And the first thing is faith. This is the first and fundamental thing. Faith not in a building, not in an institution or an organization, not even in church itself, but faith in God. And the second thing that Jesus says is prayer. So look at verse 24 with me. Therefore, because you have faith, because you trust God, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And sometimes verses like this are taken out of context a little bit. Sometimes people will read a verse and they'll go away and they'll ask God for something, say maybe healing, healing for their child. They'll pray to God, God, please heal my daughter. She's, She's terminally sick. She's going to die. God, please heal her. Please, can you do this? And then when healing doesn't come, that person can beat themselves up a bit. I didn't believe enough. I didn't have enough faith. It's my fault my daughter died. It's my fault. Or a person can be suffering under some kind of sickness, and they're told by the pastor, look, the reason you're not being healed is because you don't have enough faith. If only you believed more, if only you had more faith, then God would heal you. Friends, that's wrong. And we need to say that's wrong. It's insensitive, and it's also unbiblical. God does promise to take away your sickness. He does. But he promises to do that in a new creation, not in this creation. We need to read these verses in context. See, Jesus has just told his disciples the temple is under judgment. It's withered to the root. Soon it will completely die off. And at that point, what happens to our prayers? Remember the Jews? They used to come to the temple to pray. Or they used to look towards the temple to pray. Because their prayers would be heard at the temple. So if the temple is gone, how do we pray? The new King Jesus, he brings a new way of praying. A way of praying that doesn't involve the temple. Because God isn't bound by buildings. God is everywhere. God hears our prayers no matter where we are. We could be here in church, or we could be hanging out the washing at home. We could be on our knees or on the toilet. I don't mean to be a bit crude there, not at all, because you can be praying on the toilet and God will just as much hear you there as anywhere. The point is that there's no longer any sacred place to pray. God hears prayers. So let me ask you, are you praying? Are you taking advantage of this new way of doing life with God? One where you can pray to God at any time, anywhere, any place. And he'll hear you. As I was thinking about this, I thought to myself, I reckon there's two really good ways to make prayer be something I do in my life all the time. The first way is just to have a regular time each day to pray. I can commit then to praying for certain things, right? You know, maybe it looks like on Monday... I'll pray for one of our link missionaries. On Tuesday, I've got these couple of friends I'm trying to, to trying to talk with them about Jesus. I'll pray for them on Tuesday. On Wednesday, I've got kids that go to the youth group, that go to Fix. I'm going to pray on Wednesday. I'll pray for the youth group leaders, so on and so on and so on throughout the week. Or, or another way of getting regular prayer happening for you is by using this app called Prayer Mate. It's an app you can get on your phone. All you've got to do is... It takes up maybe half an hour to set up. Just pop in your prayer points. And you can tell it, each day I want to have three prayer points or four prayer points. And each day you open up the app and it tells you your four prayer points for the day. It can mean that you're constantly, consistently praying for things. It's brilliant, really helpful. So you can have a regular time of prayer each day, but I think the second thing is, the second great way to pray is to pray throughout the day, whenever, just as things come up. And as you brush your teeth in the morning, and you remember, oh, last night at community group, someone said that they're really struggling with their faith. I'm going to pray for them just as I brush my teeth. Or you jump in the car, and you remember, I've got this friend, and well, they're just having a hard time at work, I'm going to pray for them as I drive to work. I'm at work, and I'm sitting down at my desk, and I know, you know, there's a friend I've got, I'm going to see him at lunchtime, and I've just been really hoping that I can invite him along to the Mark drama. So before I get out of my seat, At work, I'm going to pray for him. Maybe you're talking with someone after church, talking with someone who needs prayer. Why not pray for them right there on the spot with them? None of us are going to think you're weird. Go for it. Jesus brings this new way of doing life with God, a way where we can pray, pray at any time. Are we taking advantage of that? Let's do it, friends. God hears our prayers. That's the second way of doing this new life with God, is prayer. The third way, the third thing that this new life with God looks like is forgiveness. Look at verse 25 with me. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. See, this new way of approaching God is the way of forgiveness. God wipes away our sins but all our wrongs, past, present, future. God wipes them away. You see this, with God, the slate is clean. My sin, which is great, trust me. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. She sees me at my worst. She knows my sin is great. All my sins, my injustices, my offenses, my wrongs. Well, God wipes that all clear. Everything is completely and totally forgiven by God. This doesn't happen because I go to the temple to make my sacrifices. Because the temple, it's old, it's with it, it's out of date. This happens because Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice, because Jesus died on the cross. Easter is such a good time of the year. And now that I've been forgiven, Jesus is saying, will you be forgiving too? He's asked me not to bear the grudge, but to forgive the wrong. Now for some of us, this will be very hard, won't it? Because in our life, in the past, people have done terrible things to us. There's great hurt there. And this brings so much hurt that it's not like suddenly you can just let go of it like that. And I'm not, going st- I'm not going to stand up here today and say, well, you need to go home and straight away forgive people. You need to forgive those who have wronged you. I'm not going to say that, not now. What I want to do, I want to ask, just gently ask, what's the trajectory that you're on? What's the direction you're heading in, if this is you? Are you heading down a pathway in life where those past wrongs Will define you, where you won't move towards forgiveness for those who have wronged you. Or are you moving slowly in the direction of forgiveness? Maybe it is only bit by bit, but but are you moving towards forgiveness? I don't know entirely what that will look like for your life. Maybe it will look like counselling, maybe it won't. Maybe it'll look like opening up to a friend. Maybe it'll look like something completely different. I don't know. I suspect it will look like prayer at some point. But whatever it is, Jesus is asking you to be on that road toward forgiveness. Maybe it will be slow. Maybe there'll be some tumbles along the way. But is that the direction you're heading in? Jesus is asking us to forgive like we have been forgiven. For some of us, that's hard. Because in our life, there are past sins done against us that cut deep. But for others of us, we make forgiveness hard for ourselves. It's not that we've experienced some major wrong done against us, but we just keep holding on to the little things that others do to us. God may have forgiven us, but we too easily withhold forgiveness from the others. It might go like this, you know, something like, you know, my spouse once said something to me and it really hurt, it cut deep. And now whenever things get tense, I always think about it. I don't let it go out of my mind. I don't say anything, but it's in my head. And even though they've said they're sorry, even though they've apologized, I haven't forgotten. and I haven't forgiven. Maybe it's, Oh, my workmate. We were all crowded around one day at work and this guy, my colleague, made a joke about me. And everyone laughed. And I've never forgiven them. I've always felt at odds with that person. See, we're forgiven, but we find it hard to forgive others. I think this is me. I think I'm in this category. Too often I I find myself holding little things, small things, that people have done to me, I hold that against them. So I've been challenged this week. I've been challenged to make a conscious effort to forgive. I think what it means is not letting my mind dwell on what was done to me or what was said to me. Not letting my mind dwell there. I need to make a conscious effort to think about something else. And that's what I want to try and do this week. Instead of when when I notice myself dwelling on what has been done to me or said to me, I want to stop myself. I want to start thinking, actually, what what is my sin like? And how much has God forgiven me? That's my plan for this week. Not dwelling on it, but dwelling on God and God's great forgiveness of me. Friends, there's a new king in town. His name is Jesus. Jesus. He completely changes the way we do life with God. We don't have faith in organizations or buildings or or institutions. We have faith in God. Prayer is not something that's done in certain places at certain times in certain ways. Prayer is something that's done all the time because God hears us. Forgiveness is something that we're known by because God has forgiven us. So we can forgive others. This is a new way of doing life. It's so radical, isn't it? It even spills over outside of our relationship with God. This is good news, friends. I'm going to pray that God would help us live this out this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We know that he is our king. And as our king, we're so grateful to you that he changes the way we can do life with you. Thank you that you've given us faith, faith to put in you. Thank you that you've opened up the way of prayer. Help us, Father, to be praying people because we need you and we know we can't do life without you. We depend on you. Thank you, Father, for forgiving us. Our sin is so great And you have done something wonderful in forgiving us in Jesus. And we pray then that you would help us be forgiving others as well. Where this is hard, Father, help us slowly walk towards forgiveness. Where we need a change in our attitude, Father, help us to learn to be forgiving. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.